University of Georgia Griffin campus invites you to join us for news and information about the many and varied programs and activities at the UGA Griffin campus. Information about gardening, the agriculture programs, and your UGA degree at the University of Georgia Griffin campus. Your UGA degree is closer than you think. This program is made possible by Frank and Karen Harris of Round Oak Resources Tree Farm and Murray and Company Realtors. Listen each Thursday at 9 o'clock a.m. for the UGA Griffin Campus News. This program is produced by WKU AM 1450 and 102.3 FM and The Rock 88.9 FM and streamed live on our website, wkuradio.com. Join us now with our guests from the UGA Griffin Campus. Good morning and welcome to this week's installment of the University of Georgia Griffin Campus News. We've got a full house appearing with us in a very warm studio today as we are joined by Dr. David Bunton, the Assistant Provost and Interim Campus Director on the University of Georgia Griffin Campus. We have a first-timer with us today, Dr. Kevin Missoval. He is an Assistant Professor and Interim Director at the Food Pick on the UGA Griffin Campus and somebody who came to see us last summer, and we're glad to have him back, Peter Chiarelli, a Graduate Research Assistant. Dr. Bunton, we're going to start with you, if you don't mind. Just talk about the importance of the food pick building and the entire program to the UGA Griffin campus operation. Well, the food pick, uh, Kevin, you have to help me out here. Food, it stands for Food Product Innovation and Commercialization Center. So it's a one-of-a-kind uh, uh, in, in, in Georgia. There's a number around the country, but ours is uh, pretty unique. It it uh, tries to take uh, university research and development to uh, the industry, and uh, Kevin probably can, can say the story better than I can, but um, if you say, uh, Tony, have Tony's, you know, best barbecue sauce you, you've ever thought you had, but, you know, you just can't quite, uh, don't know how to produce it or produce it safely to get it to market, you can come to Food Pick and uh, they will help you with that process to help you commercialize, uh, uh, say, a product. And so it's designed to assist entrepreneurs here in Georgia that have food products but need a little bit of expertise, you know, to, to take them to market. So we're, we're quite excited about uh, the food pick. Uh, Kirk Keeley was the former director, and he uh, retired uh, last March and uh, the university nothing moves quickly at the university so we're we now finally have a, a new uh, person a new director coming in july so so you're going to give up dr kevin you're going to give up the interim label but did dr bunton is was his appraisal of food pick fairly accurate is there anything that you would add to his definition uh, i think he was very accurate I mean, in terms of you know what food pick does and the mission of food pick overall so we are also you know a platform that supports uh, food innovation and you know the the, uh, the launching of, of high quality you know foods uh, not only in georgia but across you know the, the united states we work with small uh, food companies all the way to large food corporations um, in their journey, we support their journeys to develop and launch, you know, our commercial food products. Well, seeing that this is your first time here on the UGA Griffin Campus News, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your educational background, where you're from, and uh, you know, just a little bit the the Kevin Missoval story. Thank you very much. Well, this is my second time here. Uh, it in is. Fact, yeah, yeah. I was here. My first time here was uh, well, 
I think it was three years ago with Dr. Honeycutt. Um, that was in 2018, I believe. I had just joined uh, University of Georgia as an assistant professor. Um, fast forward now, three years and a half later, I'm, I'm back here. So it's a pleasure to be here. So I'm Kevin Misselbal, an assistant professor, um, Department of Food Science and Technology. Um, I work, my, my research is focused on developing uh, novel food ingredients and optimizing uh, food processing operations. Uh, my um, my background, um, I got uh, uh, my PhD from Louisiana State University, uh, master's and also from LSU. Um, got my bachelor's uh, from Honduras. I'm originally from Guatemala, so I've been in several uh, places already, you know, um, and uh, been in Georgia for almost uh, four years now. It's been a really great experience for me uh, to be here and, and support the efforts of uh, Food Peak and also the Food Science and Technology programs. And Peter Chiarelli, who I, I do remember did his undergraduate work at the University of Florida and became a transplant to the UGA Griffin campus. Peter, remind our listeners a little bit about yourself, please. All right, all right. Well, first, th thanks for letting me come back in here, <laughs> not running me off last time. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, so I'm a graduate research assistant under Dr. Kevin Miss, and you know the goal of what we do is try to develop you know certain types of food ingredients from underutilized commodities here in Georgia, and what I focus on is jellyfish. So we're trying to take some Georgia caught jellyfish and uh, make some fun fun ingredients from them. Well, you know that's that's the, you know you don't think of jellyfish and food commodity generally together. Most people think of getting stung and avoiding jellyfish. Dr. Misaval, when did where did it come into being that there might be some food opportunities with jellyfish? Sure. Uh, thank you for asking that. Well, uh, jellyfish is a uh, cannibal jellyfish specifically. It's a very interesting. Um, commodity you know, it's one of the largest uh, seafood commodities by landings in in Georgia um, and where uh, here is uh, uh, cannibal jellyfish is a state fishery so it means that you know it's uh, it's legal to go and catch jellyfish and sell it as a food product um, most of the uh, jellyfish that is processed and catch here in Georgia is salted dry and then it's sold to China it's exported to China but uh, there is a very limited market for those products uh, here in the United States, which um, is an opportunity as well for developing, you know, other products. So one of the things that we have discovered through our research is that jellyfish is a good source of collagen, uh, marine collagen specifically. So marine collagen is a, a raw material for producing uh, gelatin, uh, gelatin powders. So if you go to the supermarkets now, you will see a lot of gelatin-based you know, supplements and collagen-based uh, supplements. Most of those supplements are uh, produced with a collagen that comes from cows and, you know, swine, pigs. And um, for the type of collagen or products that we that intended to develop, uh, that is coming from, you know, marine sources, which um, it is expected to be higher quality, you know, and, uh, and of course, you know, with more applications. And uh, Peter, you know, it just it sounds so strange. Being a Floridian, you certainly were no stranger to jellyfish. <laughs> but, you know, did you ever think that, that the career path, the college path, would lead you into researching, particularly the, the cannonball jellyfish? Well, well, I have to say, I'm initially from Illinois. Well, yeah. So growing up. Once you're a Floridian, you're a Floridian <laughs> forever. Yeah. So growing up, no, I never thought I'd ever even touch seafood or any seafood commodities. 
went to the University of Florida, did food science, and still never even thought about touching any sort of, you know, seafood commodities. And being in Gainesville, Florida, you know, you're landlocked. You're in the swamplands, and you don't really, you know, talk about all these different types of things. Um, So when I was, you know, fortunate to get interviewed at the University of Georgia, I, uh, you know, had an interview with Dr. Miss, and he was talking about potentially doing seafood commodities. And I just, I really... I really fell in love with the idea of working with jellyfish just because it was so unique. And, you know, we're currently the only ones doing this in in the United States, which is really exciting because there's, you know, uh, unexplored avenues everywhere you look. And we're just trying to narrow down the path right now. What avenues are the two of you exploring? I mean, as you mentioned, there are so many paths that have yet to be explored. So, you know, where do you come up with the ideas? Well, this didn't work or this did work. Now let's see if this worked. Where do those ideas originate? A very good question, you know, as a a researcher, we have, you know, uh, really uh, beautiful labs, beautiful pilot plants where we develop all, you know, different products. And what we do is like kind of, you know, um, develop our uh, experimental design where we uh, look at what are our best options for commercial products and also um, see what kind of information or, or knowledge we need to generate in order to develop that kind of product. So yeah, we develop you know cer- uh, certain levels of you know um, studies where we uh, we look at the quality of the horizontal products, and there are of course products that are not gonna make it. Uh, we believe that not high quality, and so we brainstorm every every day, discuss it with with Peter and other students uh, that are also involved in in this type of research. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's back put the car in reverse just for a second, just in case our listeners may not be aware of what a food scientist is number one what how would you define it each of you and then what drew you into that particular field well for me i was thinking about this this morning and the thing that i find interesting about food science is it's it's really dependent on who you talk to everyone seems to have a little bit of a different definition but like if i were to ask you like what is the definition of an engineer you know what would you say uh, I, I wouldn't know because I don't do those sorts of things <laughs> right. around here. But I, yeah, I get We've your all point. Heard of engineers, right? Right. There's so many different types. avenues an engineer could go. Right. And there I think is. It's very similar to how a food scientist is. So you can go into you know food chemistry where you're looking at the the breakdown of how food molecules and things are reacting and you know the products they're producing. You can go into food product development where you're going to combine different sorts of. Um, ingredients to try to make a better product. You can go into, you know, quality control where you can go down to a peach orchard and make sure that the peaches they're producing here in Georgia are safe. You know, there's, there's so many different avenues, but like, I think for me, the definition of a food scientist is being able to take a food product and make, make it safe for the general public. And that's kind of the goal I think we all try to do. And some people, you know, might do more chemistry to get there. Some people might try to come up with more innovation to, to make these products and, you know, make them exciting. And, you know, that's that's kind of what food science is to me. And I don't know what Dr. Miss's definition sure, is. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I will add uh, that uh, food scientist is somebody who applies the scientific method uh, for developing um, safe, noble, you know, more nutritious uh, food foods, you know, in general. Um, and that requires knowing about your chemistry, knowing your full microbiology, knowing your, you know, uh, physics and different, you know, fields uh, in order to uh, produce, you know, safe food products. Well, you know, it just jellyfish is such a unique 
you know, field. It, it's one most people, myself included, wouldn't associate with food science or even food, you know, innovation or, or products. What other types of commodities have you dealt with? I mean, you know, not you didn't start with jellyfish, I don't suppose. What other, you know, maybe unusual foodstuffs have you researched in the past? Sure. Uh, you know, I spent almost 10 years uh, back in Louisiana, so where I, I work extensively with seafood-based uh, commodities. Uh, we work with uh, crawfish, uh, shrimp, catfish. Uh, we also uh, did some work with... Um, um, other, you know, um, fish species uh, as well, um, and that adds, that's, you know, some of the experiences that I, I had back in Louisiana. After that, I, I, I work as a process engineer in Dayton, Ohio, where I work for a nanotechnology company, and that did it, that experience, you know, in, in that position, I didn't ex I exclusively, I didn't work with foods at all. I mean, I was working with, you know, uh, super capacitors, all these energy storage uh, products. But that knowledge really helped me to come up with other ideas here, you know, when I'm, uh, I'm here in the, at UGA, so where we can, I, I can integrate that in, in my research, you know. Um, it's been fascinating. Uh, we work a lot with, uh, underutilized uh, commodities here in Georgia. We have done some work with, you know, the uh, pomegranate. We're currently working with uh, citrus. Uh, same same line, we're trying to develop, you know, novel food ingredients from underutilized um, commodities. Well, I don't suspect very many people associate the coast of Georgia with jellyfish. I mean, if, you, if you're not swimming at Tybee Island or Cumberland Island, you're probably not seeing that many jellyfish. But is this a, a big waterway to find not just jellyfish, but certain types that are help you in your research? Sure. I'm not sure the question you're asking is as far as how many jellyfish are on the coast. Yeah, I mean, you know, people generally don't associate jellyfish with the Georgia coast. I mean, is there ample product out there for fishermen to catch and yeah. to, to provide for China and then to provide you with enough so, for your research? So the interesting thing about the, the jelly ball industry is... You, and the jelly not, ball, just real quickly, is the cannonball jellyfish. Yeah. I did a little research on that. Or you can call it the cabbage head, whatever you... you it looks like a little mushroom from, from Mario Brothers. But, uh, <laughs> Good analogy. <yeah. laughs> but the, the thing about these jellyfish is there's not much research done in them, so they're not really totally sure on the total biomass that's available. And every year, it's, it's like any other thing. They come and go with the season, so there's different amounts you know, in, in the waters. But this industry actually began in the late 90s in Jacksonville, Florida, and then they found out that you were able to, you know, produce these and send them and make some money. So it kind of spread to Georgia and then um, South Carolina. So, you know, these jellyfish, they're, they're all in that little kind of divot within, you know, if you look on the map, the little divot between Georgia, and they kind of, they're within like a three-mile radius of the coast. So everything's so, in that curve yeah, of the Carolinas. Yeah, everything's just about in that, in that curve, and, and, it, and it varies from year to year, and that's what we're trying to figure out is how much can we actually produce, and if we can produce a domestic market for these jellyfish. Well, one of the cool things that, that Dr. Misoval mentioned is, you know, the discovery that jellyfish were a prime source of collagen. And, you know, that's something that I think would take quite the leap of the imagination. What kind of test do you run to determine that collagen comes from jellyfish? I mean, how do you know? The so, so collagen, the, it, to back things up, collagen is a protein, right? 
I hope we all have heard of, you know, proteins and how they are in bodies. So there's many different types of proteins. And collagen is a fibrous protein. So in your skin, you have fibrous proteins and they make up like the structure, right? So collagen, you know, makes up the structure in skins and ligaments and all these different things. And you can test what kind of protein you have based on the size of proteins available. And that kind of gets into a little more like chemistry. But long story short, if you're able to break down and isolate these jellyfish proteins, you can figure out what kind of change you have to figure out the type of collagen, right? And this collagen, the interesting thing that we've realized is you can, you can isolate a good amount and that's basically what's found in these jellyfish is predominantly collagen and you can break this down to produce gelatin, right? And this is something that's used in the food industry quite a lot. If you make, you know, any sort of jellos or desserts, you typically use gelatin and that's what we're trying to produce is some sort of gelatin or different powders. Well, as Dr. Misaval mentioned earlier, you know, you see if you walk down the vitamin aisle of any GNC or your, your big box store, you see that a lot of vitamins are now laced, almost the, almost the gummy variety with collagen. Is that also coming from jellyfish? Uh, no, that that collagen, that's cow and that's that, that collagen is very likely that's coming from uh, bovine or porcine sources. Now, in, in how many countries use jellyfish as a food product? I mean, you mentioned China. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't say a delicacy, but it's a, it's a routine part of some people's diet there. Are there other sections of the world in which jellyfish being edible is common? As far as we know, uh, jellyfish is widely consumed in Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, China is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one country where uh, jellyfish is extensively consumed, but also uh, the Philippines, uh, also Thailand, uh, Japan, it's another, uh, it's a huge consumer of, of jellyfish. Um, and I also wanted to mention there are several edible jellyfish. So cannonball jellyfish is not the only edible jellyfish. There what other species we might we find? A very good question. I definitely cannot tell you, right? You know, it's not on top of my head, but uh, I know there are, uh, for certain, five, six more, you know, edible species of jellyfish. There are, there are for example, other species of jellyfish, mm -hmm. edible jellyfish in Europe, where in Europe um, uh, there are a, a big group of researchers uh, trying to develop noble foods as well from that commodity. And then it leads to the obvious question Have either of you tried jellyfish? Of course. <laughs> and, and what's it like? I mean, just to give our listeners some sort of guy, please don't uh, say taste like chicken. So <laughs> it does not taste like chicken. All right. But if you, so before we say this, I know a lot of people are probably disgusted. So I've done, a, I did a survey last summer and I had about 300 respondents and I asked them, would you consume jellyfish? I showed them a picture of these salted dried jellyfish and about 20%, give or take, said they would try it, right? Leaving about 80% saying, heck no, I'm not going to touch these jellyfish. But when we produce what we're trying to produce, like uh, different types of powders, and incorporate that, say, into a gummy candy, we had over 80% of people say, I would be willing to try this. And this is somewhere of where this idea is coming from. Like, hey, we can make this a little more, you know, exciting and something consumers would want to purchase. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, when, okay, so for example, you've had jellyfish, you've had the cannonball, the, the jelly ball, as we call it, uh, but, but then when you use it in a product, mm -hmm. say like you mentioned, a gummy candy or some, some sort of product that has been developed from these jellyfish, can you taste the jellyfish in it or is it kind of overridden by the other ingredients? So one thing I, th I found really interesting 
is I think it's similar to like cilantro to where some people think it tastes like soap because we have one one girl in our lab and she eats it and just like totally spits it out and says this tastes terrible but then you have you know the other people trying it and other people have tried it and they're saying hey it tastes fine like there's a little off flavor but that's something we're trying to also you know get rid of and optimize and we haven't really been to that point yet but it is kind of there but we're working to to get rid of that aspect are there unique challenges to the jellyfish industry or the market here in Georgia or nationally, internationally? And, and if there are challenges, what are they? Sure. I think that one of the uh, biggest challenge, uh, challenges for uh, the jellyfish industry in general is the lack of knowledge, you know, for this type of for these species. There is not really data or research done on how much biomass is available of, you know, of cannibal jellyfish. It's been suggested that jellyfish in general uh, is uh, it's a species that is going to increase in, in, in biomass across the globally. And that's due to, you know, uh, current global warming and, and acidification of oceans. That is killing a lot of jellyfish predators. And as a result, you know, we'll see, we're going to see more um, jellyfish outbreaks in the ocean, you know, with a huge biomass. Um, now, that information is just like being anecdotal at this point because there is not really, you know, a group of, of scientists or, or research being done to confirm that information. And that's, I think that's a big challenge for the industry right now because the lack of information, so there is not really um, uh, information or, or knowledge on how to take advantage of, of these type of, you know, commodities that I believe is going to become, you know, um, an issue in in a few years if we don't have if we don't have any you know avenue to take advantage of, of these jellyfish and the other thing is um, the if, uh, we're, we of course we're was focusing on developing food ingredients with, with jellyfish how we can you know develop these ingredients so they can be accepted by the domestic market and that will open up you know different avenues for um, the jellyfish industry if that happens when that happens i think the opportunities are, are going to be huge for for this local industry well not to get us off track but i am curious as to something you just mentioned dr kevin and that's uh, the natural predators to jellyfish what what would be some examples of those my heroes when i'm on the beach yeah, some of the examples are turtles, for example. You know, turtles are, are, are huge consumers of predators of jellyfish. Uh, now the oceans are, are more acidic. Um, you know, temperatures have uh, risen and for, you know, steadily in the last uh, 10 years or 20 years. So, and, and that's kind of pushing away some of the predators from the areas where jellyfish grow. And, and that's just a perfect environment for jellyfish to thrive. And if I, if I can tag on to that, so jellyfish eat plankton and like, you know, these little species. So when you have, you know, the smaller species in the ocean that are either getting, you know, overfished or different things like that, you have the competitor fish that are also decreasing. So it's not just there's less turtles, but you have some sort of, I, I don't know if it's like sardines or something, but there's, there's another like really small species that have been overfished and like so we're, we're dealing things. with a complicated chain. Yeah, there's yeah, it's a complex chain. And then jellyfish are just readily adaptable, so they can really change, and that's why they're predicted to increase because, you know, they just, they're clones of each other, right? They go on the ocean, and they produce little clones from polyps, and it's a really interesting life cycle if anyone is bored at the library. 
Well, you have mentioned, you know, the the lack of information about jellyfish. Is there a, like, if you were to product something and called it jellyfish crackers, there would be some people who said, well, it's jellyfish, I'm staying away. Do you also have to combat that type of misinformation, people's misconceptions? I mean, most people think of jellyfish as the stinging pest when they go out into the ocean and, and really don't give them much more consideration than that. You know, how do you educate people that jellyfish are much more beneficial than it looks at face value? A very good question. I think oh, part of the work that we do at the University of Georgia is to provide uh, the general public with, you know, scientific unbiased knowledge of what jellyfish is. Uh, of course, we're not going to be, you know, uh, uh, marketing jellyfish as one of the most delicious foods ever, you know, high highest qualities. What we do is like w we generate the knowledge and whatever knowledge we generate, whatever results from our research, we publish that research on scientific papers. Uh, and also we participate in, you know, conferences where uh, extension workshops where we'll tell people, the consumers, what are the benefits of, of jellyfish or what are the, the things that we discover through our research. And that's what we have done in the, yeah. in the last uh, few years. Yeah. Trying to just break down those barriers is, is a key thing. And it's just, you know, if you, can, if you can show a consumer, hey, this has jellyfish, but it looks awesome, you know, hopefully they trust you that you made it safe. But that's kind of, I think, the biggest barrier is just getting somebody to be like, oh, this tastes great and it has jellyfish in it. Is there any estimate as to the economic impact of jellyfish on the state economy, or, or is that something that we haven't gotten to yet, but will soon, perhaps? Uh, sure. Uh, probably one of the our funded projects that we have um, is going to work on, on on finding that kind of information and see what will be the the uh, economic impact for the entire state. Of because, Georgia. I mean, it's not just you guys in research. It's not the products you develop, but fishermen are getting jobs. I mean, there there has to be somebody that's, after the fishermen yep. bring the haul in that have to process and stuff like that. So, And that's, that's, the, that's the most important thing, which is what we're trying to do, is diversif diversify the portfolio of jellyfish, because currently you only have this one product. That's a good use of terminology. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you try to diversify this, and... And they're caught in rural coastal communities in Georgia. Like if you go, I don't know, 15 miles north of Brunswick, you're in, you know, rural coastal Georgia. And there's not many jobs there. So if you can produce an industry that provides, you know, even 100 jobs, like that's huge for those communities. And that's really kind of the focal point is if we can do this, it'll actually provide a lot of jobs in these coastal communities. Now, when you guys do your research on the jellyfish, are you getting live samples or are you post-mortem or do you deal with both? So, so we initially started with the salted and dried jellyfish because that's what's available. They make them shell-stable and you can readily transport them to and from, right? And we just wanted to see if it was possible to produce, you know, powders like gelatin and different things like that. And what we found, you know, last year is that we were able to do this. We received a provisional patent to be able to do this. And now the goal is <clears throat> if we can actually simplify the process and, and use fresh jellyfish instead of these salted and dried jellyfish, because this is really going to, you know, eliminate a lot of the time and 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 cost to the to the process to really save the industry money and hopefully process more efficiently when you know the time comes that we produce you know commercial com big big scale levels do outside companies come in and kind of peek over your shoulder at your research just to see where you may be in the, within your own project 
Oh, thank you very much for asking that question. And that's important, a very important question. Yes, the last uh, year or so, I have spoken with uh, more than 10 global food companies that are interested in um, um, scaling this, the, our ideas up. Uh, are they multinational? I mean, do they multi span the globe? Multinational. Some of those companies are based in Europe. Some of the companies are based in Asia. Uh, they are looking for uh, new sources of collagen. Um, it seems like the general public or uh, the, uh, the consumer is, is trying to move away from bovine collagen and porcine collagen. Uh, but unfortunately, the only uh, search, the alternative search of collagen at today is fish collagen, which there is not, it's not enough um, to supply the current demands of the market. So jellyfish can definitely, you know, fill that void or that need for uh, marine collagen. And that's why global companies and you know global food industries are looking for this type of research. See, here I am thinking that you're you're in the lab with with live jellyfish and you've got them under the microscope or you're dissecting them, looking for for certain objects. But have either of you ever been stung in the process of your research, or or we well past that point by the time the jellyfish get to well, your so stage? These jellyfish actually don't sting. So yeah, I go to the beach down in you know Jacksonville by my mama. And you can pick them up. You can throw them at each other. I mean, if, if you <laughs> obviously to. you've done it before. <laughs> if you've you mentioned to. it, and, th and they're just you know they're just little globulars that float in the ocean, right? And um, you know there's nothing really to them, right? So so processing them isn't the most you know crazy thing in the world. Sometimes I get yelled at because the lab stinks, but <laughs> well you know dead fish tend to. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of like insects. You know, there's certain insects that'll sting you and. But most insects don't, and, you know, that's mm -hmm. just the nature of things. Well, I just I mean, was curious as to, you know, so, but there are other types of jellyfish, of course, obviously, that sting, but the cannonball is not one of them. I'm surprised to learn that. Not one of them. Not one of them. So that's why the, 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 they're pretty easy to process, too, where we don't have to remove any, like, toxins or different things like that. Have either of you read recent research that indicates that science is thinking that you know jellyfish are considered brainless creatures and there is starting to be some research that indicates that maybe they're not quite as brainless as originally thought i mean have any of you seen any of that research i haven't read any of that research but the anatomy of it suggests that there's like no brain right or no nervous system not right as we know it right not that it's yeah i mean they just have a stomach and they have you know their little ways of doing things what do they eat I mean, aside from plankton, what do they eat? Some, Anything? Sometimes they eat fish larvae. Uh, I think I read red, red drum, and but mostly plankton. So when you see these big blooms or big populations of jellyfish, it's because there's a lot of like concentrated, uh, like planktons in, in that specific area, and you'll get millions of pounds. Is what I've been told by the fishermen. You stumble on these blooms, and there's you fill up your boat with a hundred thousand pounds in less than a couple hours. Well, I, one of the questions I have in front of me is that, that Elizabeth Laney sent over says that uh, there's some belief that maybe jellyfish can help with stomach and intestinal health. Is, you know, if it, is, do you have any opinion on that without there being a finalized research project? It's a very good question. I'm not really aware of that, you know, and that's an accurate statement. Perhaps uh, I'm, I'm just not aware of, of that, but... Um, with collagen, it's, a, it's a, a, a protein, like Peter said before, it's a protein that it's extensively used for healing wounds. Uh, there are a lot of collagen-based products that are, you know, are currently being utilized by the uh, biomedical industry. 
uh, to heal wounds so perhaps that will you know uh, aligns with that you know uh, the research recent discoveries of, of collagen and you know the gastrointestinal injuries if I can add to that I think what that question is going towards was I read a, a publication where they were using a species of jellyfish and they're feeding it to aquacultured fish and what they were finding out is that the microbiome so the little gut microbacteria in there was actually being beneficial to the to the host that it's in and it's providing positive attributes so potentially in another avenue to study with jellyfish would consuming these types of powders actually you know positively affect it like a probiotic would and that's you know one of them avenues you can potentially research well peter you mentioned that right now basically the florida coast georgia coast and now you know trickling up into south carolina are there properties to jellyfish that prevent them from going farther north or farther south or will we see an expansion if the environment allows for the fostering for a good environment for the jellyfish i mean is there a water temperature level that they have to have or that's a great question from my knowledge, there's there's the species we work with, cannonballs. You can find them in the Atlantic Ocean. You can find them in the Gulf of Mexico. You can find them in the Gulf of California. So I think, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean, they're typically closer to the coasts. So my thought process is they like the warmer waters. And potentially they're just, you know, a couple of them going out like little ants. And as soon as they get that food source, they're going to start multiplying and blooming and you get all this craziness happening. But I, I don't typically read that they're anywhere like in the deep oceans. They're usually within 10 miles of the coast, and that's that's to the extent of my knowledge. Well, Dr. Misaval, what other UGA foundations, centers do you work with with your jellyfish? I mean, I, I was reading a thing that you were doing stuff with uh, Marine Extension, and you had, had worked with Georgia Sea Grants. Could you talk about your experience with those agencies? Oh, sure, yes. Uh, well, since I I have an extensive background working with uh, seafood processing, when I came to, when I joined uh, UGA in 2018, I was approached by um, an extension specialist that worked for Marine Extension in Georgia Sea Grant. Um, uh, that person introduced me to, you know, uh, Georgia uh, Sea Grant and what they do, uh, what are, you know, uh, uh, the, the mission of, of, of the institution here in Georgia. Uh, since then, I started collaborating with, with them. Um, we have done projects with, you know, um, adding value to underutilized commodities, seafood commodities. So jellyfish is one example. I uh, recently, uh, we, re we are currently working on uh, brown shrimp as well. Uh, it's an, uh, another underutilized uh, seafood commodity in Georgia high value, high protein content. Uh, what we have done with brown shrimp is uh, extracting the, the quality, high quality proteins and making uh, them soluble in water. So that, you know, kind of product can be utilized in um, beverages and, you know, soups and any application that requires, requires you know, high water solubility. Well, Dr. Button's experience as a scientist has been largely in the field of entomology, and he has seen the world change to where insects became a snack food for many people because of their high levels of protein. You know, when you guys think of a new 
possible new application food-wise for jellyfish? Is this a trial and error, or do you look for comparable sources to say, okay, well, a jellyfish has this property, this organism has this property, let's see if it crosses over, is it, or is it just trial and error? Or, you know, when you get an idea, how do you start from idea to seeing it through to fruition? Well, usually the ideas that, that I get, at least, are from, you know, research, you ever and get them in the middle of the night and say, and then... Yes, you should see the <laughs> notebooks that I have. I, I think I'm crazy sometimes, and I must be because I'm working with jellyfish, and <laughs> these people are on the radio thinking that they're going to be this next big thing. So, <laughs> but, but the research kind of gives you ideas of what's in these jellyfish, and you, know, you start thinking, you're like, okay, what can I do with these jellyfish? And you see different products on the market, and you kind of you know, put the two together and be like, okay, let's see if we can produce a powder that looks like this in the market and compare them and we can test them. We do a, a lot of powder characterization and, and different properties in the lab and that's you know what we do because we like powders because they're shelf stable and you can readily transport them. So, you know, cheap cost to transport and different things like that. But, but taking those products from different avenues and combining them, it, it does come to a lot of trial and error, though, because you want to see what's going to produce like the best product in the most efficient way. Is, is, do you ever find yourself disappointed when a, a you know you think of something and say, "Hey, I think this might work," and then it turns out that it made you know the end result wasn't quite what you had imagined? I, I mean, you can't. I think everyone gets a little disappointed, but that's the point of research, right? You know, you're trying new things and some, sometimes you're going to fail. A lot of the times you're going to fail, but you have to be able to be resilient and also look at things in a different light. Like say you get this product and you were expecting it to have this property. Maybe you can look at it in a 180 and say, oh my gosh, I can use this for some sort of thing that police can use or something in a totally different retrospect, you know? Well, you bring up an excellent point, and I'd like both of your input on this. Is in, in the course of your research, what's the most unusual thing you found out about jellyfish that you didn't know going in? I mean, yeah. Well, um, and I want to add a little bit of um, um, add you know to what, what Peter said before regarding the how we approach this type of research. And I think we always start with the end goal in mind. Meaning, you know, we have a, pro a, a product in mind that we want to imitate. For jellyfish, for example, the original idea was to produce powders, jellyfish powders, with gelling properties. Mm -hmm. At that time, we we saw a lot of value on these powders having, you know, gelling properties because a lot of food ingredients are utilized as, you know, food thickeners. Uh, and so jellyfish is a really, really great raw material for making that kind of products because uh, it's collagen. Collagen doesn't add a lot of, you know, um, calories into the uh, into the final applications, food applications. Now, with, you know, in terms of, you know, the discoveries that we said, oh, this is incredible, this is great, was when we, in fact, developed these powders with gelling properties. We were we extensively worked with jellyfish for about a year, uh, and we were not really successful at producing powders with gelling properties until we had, you know, we 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 gained enough knowledge how to manage this type of uh, products, and we're able to produce, you know, uh, powders with gelling properties. That was our aha moment. <laughs> One of our aha moments, yeah. One of them. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, where does the next idea come from? And how long are you willing to, to stay on this line of research? It, it, it depends. As I long mean, as it's fruitful, are you, are you willing to stay in it? 
I think I think the university answer would be until the funds run out. Correct, <laughs> Doctor Miss. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm I'm very excited and very engaged in this type of research. I definitely um, will seek um, commercialization of at least one of these products that we are developing. So uh, that will be you know something that will definitely and I think will benefit the industry and the state overall. Yeah, and if if I can add one thing, I'm very fortunate to work under you know Dr. Kevin Miss because a lot of my ideas for this, like I think a lot, but I think the best when I'm in the gym, and when I'm going to exercise, I just randomly get ideas in my head, and that's how a lot of the avenues that we're starting to explore have kind of originated. So I think being able to clear your mind is, is really key to figuring out what you want to accomplish. You need to talk to the people on the UGA in the IT department or the <laughs> equipment department. They have these neat little recorders <laughs> that you push back. It's got two little microphones on it. I hear my voice. No, no, no. no but, but when you're in the gym, you don't have to write things down. You just tell it into the recorder. and you know true. Because it is one of those things. That I'm a big believer in that. If you don't write it down, it didn't happen, particularly when it comes to new ideas. You say, oh, I won't forget this. Yes, you will. So do write it down. Now, Dr. Button, this is an unfair question to ask you, but I've always been curious as to this. And, and, you know, if you, you know, if you, if the university would prefer you not answer, I certainly understand. But let's say that Dr. Kevin and Peter hit on the next big thing in a commercialized food product. How does the University of Georgia benefit I mean, do they get a financial benefit on top of the notoriety and the prestige that, that goes along with our researchers did this? Well, uh, Dr. Mistival mentioned about a, a preliminary patent on one of the products. Right. And so we have a group in Athens, and that's what they do is work with the researchers. If they develop something that is looks like it has commercial application, they will uh, help and get the patents and the paperwork uh, basically in line where uh, it protects that product uh, and and then can be marketed or sold the patent rights can be sold to a commercial company or uh, there's a lot of interest at the university of of actually the researchers then uh, developing their own companies uh, there's a number of those in Athens and uh, so there's there's two tracks there and if the product then does become commercialized, uh, generally the company will pay a royalty uh, back to the university. And uh, there's a formula of how that money is allocated. And some of it goes to the, the inventor, we call them the inventors themselves personally, but a lot of it uh, goes back to their research program and to the university to support new research. So if you want to continue this research, the more products, the more useful products you can come up with, the longer the research project lasts. Definitely, definitely. I, and I think this is, um, I would say this is the beauty of being in an academic position because we have, we are provided with an incredible environment where we can develop our, our ideas. So we can definitely explore other applications for jellyfish. And I'm glad and grateful to be here at UGA Griffin Campus because the support of, you know, that we are provided in the facilities, the quality of, of researchers that I work with as well, and the, um, the quality of the students that we have in our programs. Well, now, you guys are going to kind of laugh at me about this, but it's, it's it, because to you it's going to seem awfully simplistic. But to me, when you're talking about jellyfish, you know, if you're dealing with the live product, you, you, it seems like you can put an awful lot into a crate. 
but you guys came up with the idea of powderization. You know, where did that idea create, without giving away trade secrets, how do you powderize a jellyfish? Like I said, I mean, I don't want you to give away any patented material, but it just, it seems to you, you know, where was that idea born? Was it born here on well, the Griffin campus? Dr. Kevin Miss answer that. Well, that's a very good question. Actually, my area of expertise is uh, powders, food powders. And that's why I, I took a position as a process engineer in this nanotechnology company a few years ago. Um, there are a lot of material scientists who don't have an expertise on how to make, you know, uh, powder products of the qualities that, you know, the companies were looking for. And that's why I, I was brought into, you know, the, that team. Even though I didn't know anything about what they were doing, but my area expertise making, you know, materials into powder forms, that what, you know, um, got me the job. Uh, here, when I came back, when I came back to academia and I realized the you know, when we talk about dry products, dry food ingredients, they comprise about 80% of the total food ingredient market. So food powders, powder, you know, are really extremely important for the food industry because as Peter mentioned it before, you know, they are easily transported. They are like low volume. They can be easily applied into several food applications. So the you know that opens the opportunities to utilize you know these these powders in you know in variety of you know of foods well once you've powderized it do you guys have a list and, and i'm not asking you to disclose the list but do you have a list of 20 30 maybe 100 products that where you think well well let's try let's see if it works with this and let's see if it works with this or is there an entirely different scientific method behind the process well, as far as that goes, we, we do a lot of work in creating the powders and trying to, to optimize and see if it's even possible to do that. So we really don't focus on incorporating these into, into many food products. I mean, ideally, you produce a good product and a company might want to buy that product from you, but you might want to do one or two applications just to be like, oh, you can use this in X, Y, and Z. But that's not really what, what, what our focus is. We're trying to, to create these powders that are, you know, useful and easily, you know, transportable and sold and whatnot. And going back to my, uh, my first comment on um, the aha moment when we developed these powders with gelling properties, I've been speaking with several large corporations in the last year or so. And one of the things that I've been told by one of these large corporations is that they actually are looking for collagen products, collagen powders that don't have gelling properties. <laughs> and that was something that I didn't know. Um, and so that brings us back again to our, you know, um, original idea of, of what is the end product of, of you know, that we want to imitate. So now we're working on, you know, uh, exploring the possibilities uh, of developing several types of powders with gelling properties and with no gelling properties and it's still high quality so we can we can develop if i'm if i'm understanding you correctly uh powder from jellyfish that will not gelatinize so to speak exactly yes and that that's now that that to me just seems fascinating because it seems like you're taking away everything that is the jellyfish <laughs> yeah, so, so that goes back to the collagen itself. And, and one way I think I like to look at it is you think of it as a spectrum. You have left and right. On the left is, the, is this collagen. That's this complex protein. And as you go more towards the right, you're starting to break down a lot more of these proteins. And as you're breaking it down, it's causing different changes in the functionality of that protein. 
So maybe in the middle of the spectrum, you have something that has gelling properties, but as you go all the way to the right, now you have something that's very broken down and it's not gonna gel, and then you have a totally different product. So, you know, thinking about it on a spectrum, you might have these different, these different avenues to go based on that. See, now speaking of avenues, Dr. Bunton, at any given time, is there a rough estimate as to how many corporations are in using the food pick building at one time or having their products researched or looking for innovation? I mean, do you have permanent renters or is it companies kind of in and out? Well, Kevin could probably answer that better than me but yeah companies generally come in and out they'll come in for a six months a year uh to develop a product and then move on and we uh but we i think dr keely kept track of this and uh we often have uh you know maybe a hundred or more uh contacts that that actually turn into more than just a phone call uh per year uh, some of those don't pan out some do uh we, we do charge a nominal fee uh, for the work, but it's pretty reasonable. And again, it's, it's really set up uh, for companies that say don't have a, their own research lab but need some help with a particular product and we have our technical expertise where they can help them. Well, when it comes to the companies, Dr. Kevin, are we dealing with across the country or are we dealing primarily with companies in the Southeast? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think it's 70% of the companies that we work with uh, are from Georgia. The rest are, the rest are coming from uh, across the state. Uh, and from time to time, we've got some inter couple of international companies that have come and seek for, for help. And uh, as the overseer, do you kind of have to have a little bit of a hand in everybody's project or at least be apprised of where they are in their research? Definitely, definitely. So... Uh, it gets a little bit complex when you know we're dealing with different products at the same time. So we have um, incredible staff at Foodpeak that it uh, that conducts uh, the majority of these studies. So we have like timelines, we have you know uh, uh, deadlines that uh, we need to meet, and we make sure those deadlines are are, are actually met with with the clients. And and not to be disparaging in any way. But it's in your time as the interim director of the food pick, has it kind of taken away from some of the research you'd like to be doing? And how integral has Peter been in continuing the, your project together on the on the jellyfish? Uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to have like incredible resources at UGA. And, you know, one of those uh, resources are my students. We've got smart students like, like Peter who are, you know, are very engaged in the, in the research that, you know, uh, he is doing. And yeah, of course, you know, taking, you know, uh, additional responsibilities uh, at Footpick has diluted my time with, you know, my main responsibilities with research. But that hasn't stopped, you know, the activities uh, um, to move forward. I think we have uh, we recently published an article, a scientific article about jellyfish, and we have uh, two more coming up this summer that are ready to be submitted for publication. <laughs> so, yes, we, we I make sure you know we continue doing that because we have also the responsibility to report to our, our funding agency, which is the, the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So, uh, and we have you know that responsibility that uh, um, um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to thank Dr. Mistoval publicly for stepping up and being willing to be interim. I'm, 
I, I can attest that being interim has its challenges. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, but he's done a, a, an excellent job. I've, I've been on more tours of Food Pick with him in the last years, I think, than I've ever had. But I do want to say that we do have a new director coming, uh, James Gretzky. Uh, Jim James Gretzik. 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 Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, we're really excited. He's going to start July one. He comes. He's a UGA grad with in food science, right? And uh, but he's worked in uh, with in industry with several companies. Uh, I think General Mills uh, was his last company he worked for, and he had his own consulting business. So he knows the industry side of it, and he he'll come in. He's already, even though he's not here yet, he's already got several projects going on, and uh, so uh, that type of uh, interface between the academics and and the industry will be very helpful and you know if, if, if a company comes and they need a help with a certain product and we don't have the expertise say in Griffin the food pick is a point of contact for these companies we may know of somebody say in Athens that has that expertise or that that we can put them in contact with and they can then help them and do you not also work in collaboration with other universities that have food picks i mean it's still kind of a small number but i know rutgers has one and uga griffin and rutgers have been closely associated on a number of projects right yeah i, I think there's those collaborations also so. well and you know I think it's a pretty neat idea to bring in somebody from the commercial world. I mean, Kurt Keeley was the exact same way. He came from, from Mars. Mars, right. well, I guess it's Mars Wrigley now. But so, you know, he, he's somebody who understands a little bit more of the breadth of it. And now our new director coming in in July, you know, he'll have to get his feet wet into some new avenues. I'm sure he's not really familiar with jellyfish research just yet other than what, you know. Oh, you, we've sold him on it. We've sold him on it. He's excited. <laughs> seen it. Yeah, see, a lot of research, uh, as, as Dr. Missaval said, you may have an endpoint in mind that you're working towards, and oftentimes you find out things that take you in different directions. Some research you do may not have a particular commercialization in mind. You're trying to answer a specific question, you, and, and uh, I mean, we don't, at the university, we don't produce products per se. We provide that expertise, and so... Uh, that, but the University of Georgia is one of the top universities in the country for developing commercial products. Um, we're we're like in the top five. In National of, championship T-shirts being one of them. Yeah, <laughs> you see those everywhere. Now, Peter, do you work in a vacuum, or do you have help as well, helping you with the research? You know, with Dr. Meese, you know, sometimes he's going to be tied up. Yeah, of doing course. other food and pick stuff. So you know, what what is your help situation like? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to thank you know the lab mates, um, our two lab mates, and, and our technician, um, Bobby, Emma, and Boron, because without them, you know, they they help tremendously in a lot of different things, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have a lot of the data I have without our you know our technician, and and it's really helpful to to have that support. How close are you to graduation? Oh, I got a long time to go. You still got a ways. <laughs> yeah, I finished my master's last year, so I just finished the coursework. And, you know, the way the university goes, you got to finish all these X, Y, and Zs before you actually, you know, can get into the heart of research, which it is what it is. So when 3 o'clock in the morning hits and you're getting one of these ideas about jellyfish. Usually 4.30. Oh. Usually 4.30. <laughs> what, what motivates you? 
I mean, you know, everybody has a cool job at 2 in the afternoon. Sometimes it's not so much fun at 4 a.m. I really don't know. It's just the inner, uh, it's just who I am. I just, I really like, I really love what I do. And it's just, I've really found my passion for, you know, developing things and doing the science of food. And it's, it, it just gets me up in the morning and excites me. And that's, that's what it is. Well, we're running out of time here on this week's edition of the UGA Griffin Campus News. I do want to point out that uh, on June the 2nd, there will be a blood drive on the University of Georgia Griffin Campus. That's going to be at the Stuckey Auditorium. Visit redcrossblood.org, and you can set up a time to have it done. It's going to be in the afternoon at the Stuckey Auditorium, so, you know, Levels for blood donations are still at the critical stage because of the pandemic that Red Cross hasn't quite yet been able to restore back to their normal levels and some, you know, opti- you know personalized surgeries and non-necessary ones are being put off. So help alleviate that and join the UGA Griffin Campus at their blood drive on June the 2nd. Dr. Soval, any final thoughts on this week's program? Uh... No, I, I mean, I'm really excited to work with these guys. And uh, despite Peter's uh, Florida Cup over there, he, <laughs> he's really a great student and I think has a, a great career ahead of him. In fact, I think, did you mention to me one time you were thinking about taking this and, and developing your own company at some point? Yeah, we possibly. never know where it's going to lead. So we never we're know really excited about that. And, and I have to shout out to Peter that he's a real integral part of the graduate uh, you know group at, at the campus and they're involved in a number of projects and he's been a great pleasure to work with and so i look for more great things to come i get to know de facto through the other employees on the campus i get to know a little bit about most of the students and peter is one of the rare ones where no one has said anything bad i mean i'll probably be the first but no one has ever i've well, never except for that the florida, florida thing florida yeah belt and well he abandoned there. illinois and that's that's <laughs> That's, but Dr. Misaval, you know, where is your research headed? I mean, ideally, where do you want it to go and where do you think it's heading? Uh, thank you for asking that. Well, I would say, you know, um, like, like I said before, you know, I'll be really, really happy if I can see one commercial product, uh, a jellyfish commercial product that was developed in my lab in the shelves um, of, you know, supermarkets in, in, in the next uh, four or five years. Um, I, I also understand, you know, the process of, of launching a new product is uh, it's time consuming and, and it may take years. Mm-hmm. Um, moving along with my research at, at University of Georgia Griffin Campus and Food Science Department, um, I'm very engaged on training students like Peter. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm here as well. Um, I really enjoy working with you know young people and, and training the the next generation of food scientists uh, well you uh, say young people you look like you're about 25 yourself <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah but that's one of the of my main motivations as well i'm, I'm very happy when they succeed they they, they win awards and you know they are um, recognized for their efforts that's one of the reasons that you know um I'm here and I will, you know, continue uh, seeking the expansion of my research so I can train not only students, the grad students, but also undergrad students, visiting scientists, anybody that is interested in, you know, uh, learning more about food innovation and learning more about food processing. And Peter, any final thoughts? That- my only final thought is if anyone is ever curious about food science from listening to this talk, if you're a parent or a grandparent or someone who's looking for a career you know we're always open at the university of georgia 
And especially in food science, it's something not a lot of people have heard of. And I really want to spread my, you know, the passion that I have for that to other people because I almost didn't even find this career. And, you know, it's just something I absolutely love. So can't imagine doing anything else right can't now, can doing you? Anything else. And, and there's <laughs> a lot of, lot of jobs out there in this area. So and there's uh, a lot of jobs. Yeah. So you can always reach out to either me or, you know, I think other people at the department would be willing to as well. And then the, the ubiquitous phone number on the UGA Griffin campus for academics is 770-412-4400. want to thank our guest today, Dr. David Button, the assistant provost and interim director on the UGA program. Pleasure to see Dr. Kevin Misaval again, assistant professor and the interim director at the food pick and peter chiarelli a graduate research assistant from the state of illinois by way of the university of florida now on the uga griffin campus i've learned so much listening to you guys today i wish we had a whole another hour to keep doing this because this has been one of the most fascinating programs i've ever been a part of and hate that it's coming to an end but again thank you all for your time listeners we thank you for your time as well and we hope that you'll join us next thursday morning at nine o'clock for the next installment of the uga griffin campus news